the editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Tim Kawakami. Tim Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio not too long after the events of Game 3, Warriors win it pretty easily uh, to make this series a 2-1 Kings lead. Pretty important, crucial, must-win, if you must say, for the Warriors. Uh, I got a great person to have on to discuss all things series and NBA playoffs. Noted NBA analyst Nate Duncan, familiar to, I think, most Warriors fans or anybody who's been following the NBA. The, like the best strategic follow on Twitter for NBA stuff, just to try to catch you up or what's going on in the series. I'm loading you up here, Nate. I'm pushing you up here, <laughs> but that's why you're on. I want to just talk strategic stuff. I want to just the way things are flowing. Just, the, you know, the things that happened in Game 3, Nate, do you, what do you think was significant? Do you think anything kind of turned in this Game 3, or do you think it was just kind of the Warriors holding serve? Well, I, I do think some things turned. The question is whether they can turn again uh, when and either – with the Kings hitting shots on the road or upping their effort level again when they're back at home. And they, they all were, to a man, universally discussing how, oh, we really just didn't have the same effort level. I thought that was palpable. You didn't see, like, Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox turned back into Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox defensively. They didn't have the same level of pressure. They didn't force turnovers. They got killed on the boards rather than the Warriors. And so that that was... Those are the things. And then also, like, the Warriors just were running their offense and o- avoiding turnovers themselves and playing a lot smarter. So if those things continue, which is that's kind of this game was the first game where the series was what I thought it would look like going in. So if the Kings can't turn that either by actually winning a shootout by making a ton of shots or upping their effort level again, then I do think the Warriors could be in control. Here's one thing. I mean, I don't think the Warriors played that bad in games one and two. I mean, clearly turn, too many turnovers, some offense rebounds. Gave up a lot of points in game one, but I don't think they played bad, and I think that was heartening for them. Obviously, they had to absorb the Draymond suspension last night, but would you agree that they didn't play? I think they took that as a positive sign. It's not great to lose when you're playing pretty good, but they weren't worried about kind of their level of play. Would you agree with that? Not quite, um, because I thought that they gave everything that they could in game two, and it wasn't enough, and it's very rare in this era that you'll see that. I mean, I'm sure you could see it in the arena too, the amount of effort that like GP and Wiggins and Draymond were putting out on defense and they still lost that game and weren't, you know, it was rare that they felt like they're in control of that game. So that, that was kind of worrisome to me because there just weren't so many games in this era that have felt that way where they're like, Oh, they really brought it on defense in this game. And it's still, wasn't quite enough and they were losing the effort categories. They were losing the fast break in particular. That was another thing that the Warriors won. The Kings transition efficiency was awful last night. So, and I think, and then the way they were just kind of getting pressured up and like, they just like, there was a desperation to the way they played in this fourth quarter, Steve too, with the lineups that he put out there. And for that all to not be enough, that was a little bit jarring for me, maybe too jarring frankly, once things went back to Chase Center. But uh, so, I, I mean, I think like they were outscoring them in the half court. So, yeah, you can feel good about that. But you also are like, man, are they, they're going to lose all the effort categories this badly 
in the games in Sacramento, like it is hard to win games. What do you think was an adjustment or, or we can, I mean, it doesn't have to be strictly an X and O adjustment. Just where did the Warriors win game three? What did they do differently in three that they didn't do one and two? Well, I thought Steve coached a, a really, really good game. And there are just a, a lot of small things that he went to. I'd say, number one, they were really prepared for the Kings pressure. And they had a number of, of adjustments where, they were setting a ton of screens with their guards early in possessions. Then they were bringing the big up, doing some pitches and, and screens there. And all this is happening, you know, 25, 30, 35 feet from the hoop early in the possession. And so when a team is pressuring, it's not necessarily, oh, you have to go back door to beat them. I mean, that's kind of idea number one, but they didn't really get many of those. It's more just, hey, if you have three guys and you're starting a defensive possession 35 feet from the basket, now you can drive in and your defensive shell is not going to be nearly as compact. And they got a ton of corner threes. They got a ton of drives. They finally put some pressure on the rim, which they hadn't been doing enough in the series. So I, I thought that was really good. And then also just some of the personnel usage of just finding ways to exploit some of these limited Kings players with the personnel matchup while also protecting their own limited players from matchups that would hurt them. I thought it, Steve Kerr, Really coached an awesome game in game three. Yeah, Looney going for nine assists, 20 rebounds, you know, taking up a lot of the void of Draymond's absence. What do you think they do when Draymond is back then? Do you, you keep starting Looney and Draymond? I, mean, I think you have to because you can't take Draymond out of the starting lineup. And Looney does something like that. You're, you don't want to have him come out of the starting lineup. Nate Duncan, though, they were this was an interesting kind of way they played it. Without Draymond, what do you think they do when Draymond is back? Yeah, I do think that they go back to that group, but as you mentioned, it does make it easier for them to kind of have a compact shell and force them to shoot over the top a little bit more than they did. So, yeah, you could see them separating those guys out a little bit. And I think the biggest thing is just not running everything through Draymond Green offensively would be the biggest adjustment I would go to because he was responsible for a lot of their turnovers Mike Brown knows their system. It's easier to pressure when Draymond Green has the ball than when Steph Curry has the ball or Poole. So that's something I would expect to see is just not as much of like Draymond Green handling the ball. Let's come off some screens and try to play the beautiful game, which is also what leads to a lot of the turnovers because they don't need that against this team. Like this team is not a great defensive team. Like you can just kind of line the pins up and knock them down against the Kings just fine, just with your talent. Could you uh, close with Looney and four smaller players and not have Draymond on the floor? And they kind of did that in game four of the finals. I'm not, you know, disregarding the Draymond's value, but maybe in this series, do you look at like, hey, Looney can do a lot of those things and we're maybe better at times with Draymond not being on the floor with him? I don't think so because uh, we didn't see it get into clutch time in this game. But at the end of game two, with Looney out there, they don't really have a schematic answer for that Fox Sabonis pick and roll. I mean, maybe they try to get it out of Fox's hands, but then that's going to lead to open threes on the backside. And so you want to have Draymond Green out there just because he's got so much more quickness than Looney. He, in theory, can switch on to Fox, though Fox, Fox was interested in attacking that matchup. We yep. didn't see it too much. It'd be at the end of a game that that's one that. I don't know for sure that Draymond is going to be able to contain him, but the, the Warriors are going to try to do that. And then also G, GP was unavailable as well. And so I think they want to have him out there to 
to guard Fox so that Fox can't go into his ISO game. And you really only have one guy that Fox wants to attack, probably in Curry, maybe Clay too. But to have, uh, I think because Looney has kind of like got to be in the drop coverage, that it's better for Golden State to close uh, with Draymond. I mean, I, I realize that he's, uh, again, is like kind of upset people, but you know, he's still a much better player th- than Looney in most situations. Particularly on the road. I was like, There's no question, right? Yeah. <laughs> Draymond on the road barring some explosion where he steps on somebody and eggs on the crowd. I want Draymond on the road. I want Draymond on the floor as much as possible. Certainly it just gets a little tricky when Draymond and Looney together, right? That's the trickiness offensively. They've talked about it. Kerr has tried to split them completely. Uh, And then guess what? Draymond and Steph want Looney out there with them. It just gets a little tricky offensively. Let's just switch this to the Kings I mean, Keegan Murray has not done much at all in this series. If you're looking at a Mike Brown adjustment, can you pull Keegan Murray out of the starting lineup? What, what what would you do? I think it's tough for them to win this series without getting something from him. I mean, he he's really their second best shooter. Hmm. You know, he shot over 40% for three. He, he was a big part of what made this offense so dangerous. And if the Kings are going to win this series... They're not going to win the series if they shoot 30% from three the rest of the series. And, like, Murray is a pretty reliable shooter. I know he struggled some. He got the three fouls early in this game. I'm not saying you necessarily have to close with him. You know, you can look at Monk. You could look at Mitchell. Both those guys over the course of the series have been more effective. But I think, and even with Murray's size, like the rebounding they've been getting killed as well. I mean, if you're going to play essentially three small guards, uh, out there like you, you may not be able to get enough rebounds either so i, I think they got to get something out of him i think if i'm mike brown rather than not starting him i would try to emphasize him early in games like that's something we haven't seen the kings do much of is murray barnes like these guys have like steph curry and jordan Poole guarding them and so i know they want to play more of a fox and Sabonis game but the Sabonis handoff game has been taken completely away and so maybe that's something that you can try to do Put some fouls on, get Murray some confidence. They need probably his size and effort defensively and on the boards a little bit more as well. So I, I would be, I mean, this, they are not the deepest team. The Warriors actually have more depth than them, mm-hmm. I would say. It just, that depth didn't play very well in the first two games. So we saw DiVincenzo play a lot better. Like they can get something out of Kaminga. They've been getting something out of Moses Moody uh, and they've got more size going off the bench as well. So I, I think. If you, you're just going to like write Keegan Murray out of this series, you don't have enough. If you're Sacramento, you have to get something out of him. Uh, what else can you see Mike Brown doing? What, what, what can the Kings do to maybe kind of re, reassert themselves in this series? Well, the biggest thing that, again, you know, Steve Kerr, I'm sure, oh, well, you know, he had a few personnel usage flubs in game one, you know, takes stuff and Draymond out. The Kings go on a big run that kind of decides the game. You know, that which you, which you pointed to right away, by the way. You, you saw that right away. <laughs> well, and but again, like they've completely taken the Sabonis handoff game out of things. Now, part of that is the Kings haven't made shots off of that. Like Herder has just been off and he's gotten some open ones. But still, I mean, that's you know, Sabonis is averaging seven, eight assists during the regular season. I think he's got maybe like 12 total yeah. for the series, 11 total for the series. And they, you know, Sabonis hasn't been able to like eat up the space and attack Draymond and Looney. That's they've stopped him. And 
they've taken away any of Sabonis's backdoors. I don't think Sabonis has had a single backdoor pass because they're laying the big back. And so, like we see with the Warriors sometimes too, like you can't throw that backdoor pass when the, the big is there. Of course, now the Warriors would just throw it anyway and turn I it over. Gonna say, I was going to say, they try. It doesn't <laughs> but, mean they can't try. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it, you know, I, I think they need to find some other ways uh, to attack. The biggest concern that I have, though, if I'm the Kings is defensively, I don't think they really have an answer at this point to what Golden State was doing, pulling all their guys on the floor because you have to go with them. That's why Steph Curry is so good. Like if you, if you don't have Demonis Sabonis there, wherever the screen is being set on the floor, now Steph Curry is just going to get an open three and that's it. You're done. So, I, I mean, I'm not, and they don't have the athleticism on the back line to fly around the way a, a Memphis would. They're, they're not necessarily going to switch that. Maybe they could switch it and then go with the double team later in the possession. You know, we haven't seen that move quite yet. You know, maybe switch Sabonis onto Curry and then bring the guy over when Curry starts his move and, and get the Warriors scrambling around. But they're, they're pretty good at attacking double teams once they get two men on the ball. They've been doing that for years. So I'm not sure what the answers are for Mike Brown. It could be he could try to change his own personnel usage around to where Alex Len is on the floor at the same time as Curry. That was a brilliant adjustment by Curry as well oh, yeah. in, in oh, yeah. game three. Uh, you know, I think people were more concerned about getting Curry away from Davion. I thought it was about getting Curry matched up with Alex Len. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't, I mean, really, I think it's got to be on the offensive end that Brown is going to have to find the answers rather than on defense because it, it's, you know, Maybe the Warriors aren't going to hit shots or something like that, but I I don't think he can prevent them from getting good shots. Like the box and one hasn't worked. Warriors have that completely figured out. We've seen Kerr as he does in big games up Curry's minutes. We're all we're circling and saying he had two days off between one and two, and between two and three, Curry's minutes definitely going to be played at thirty seven last night. But he came out with three minutes when when the Kings went white flag. Is Curry going to have to play forty minutes a game? Maybe in, in this series and. Possibly through the play. I mean, I don't see a formula where they're just going to be fine if Curry sits for 10 minutes a game. Um, If he holds up, is he going to have to play 40, 41 minutes? Maybe if it really gets under pressure, 43 minutes a game? Well, you're closer to the team than I am, so you would know the answer to this. But it really seems like Poole is struggling with the ankle. Like, he just doesn't have much confidence. I mean, even if you see, like, he doesn't even feel confident, like, pushing the ball in transition at all at this point. And so the fact that he's not really able to attack off the dribble, they just don't have enough when Curry is off the floor like that. And that's where the Kings are most vulnerable. A lot of people pointed this out. Slater pointed it out in, in his piece the other day that the Kings are most vulnerable defending the room. And if Poole can't get there and, you know, he doesn't really seem to have a great base on his shot as well. Like he's, he's, Turns it over a lot in the best of times, but now that he's like kind of unstable on that ankle, whenever he drives, he kind of can get even more out of control. So, yeah, with Jordan Poole struggling like this, I mean, it's hard to remember that Jordan Poole was putting up like 30-point games regularly in the early part of the playoffs last year. So, yeah, I do think it's got to be a lot of Steph Curry, and, you know, maybe you don't need him on the ball at all times. You know, I think using him as a screener a lot more than they have would be really useful uh, again to just get some penetration. Cause like if there's, he's setting a screen for Draymond or Kaminga or something like that, uh, then, you know, the Kings just aren't going to have any room protection at all uh, at, at that point. So I, I think that could be a useful way to, because it is a Herculean effort for him to just like 
try to blow by Davion Mitchell, which he's capable of doing amazingly, but that's that's asking a lot of him. So I think playing him more, but finding ways to use him that isn't as fatiguing to him would be a priority to me. You're watching every series. I see you in the press room. You've got the screen up, watching another game, commenting on the other game, commenting on what could come up in, in the later games. Uh, I just say, is Warriors-Kings the most interesting series going on right now? I mean, there's all these weird things happening in other series, but it feels like this one, I don't know, Clippers-Suns maybe? I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't obviously that went on the same time as the Warriors last night, so I don't have a good feel for what happened last night. Would you say just strategically and just in personnel-wise, the Warriors-Kings is the most interesting one, or is there another one? Well, I, I give you an answer to that. You know, we, we record on every single playoff game, uh, Daniel LaRue and I, We've probably spent one third of our total recording time talking about this series. Part of that's because it's been competitive. Part of it's because some of the results have been unexpected. But yeah, there hasn't really been another series of this magnitude. I mean, really, the only other super competitive one has been Cavs Knicks so far. And so that's both in terms of how competitive they are and just the quality of the individual games as well. Those first mm-hmm. two games, I think like Holland and I were talking yesterday that that was probably the two most interesting individual games of the playoffs. So yeah, this is where it's at. This series is awesome. Another series though, that, that's really striking you. Is it really fascinating? I, again, it's something you know, when we get in the middle of covering one series, I don't see all the others. Uh, Memphis Grizzlies or I mean, yeah. Memphis Lakers. What's one where you go, okay, there's some interesting things going on that have could have some like full postseason after effects. Yeah, Memphis Lakers is the other one, but obviously Ja didn't play in that game too. They won anyway. If he if he comes back, I think that series is going to be absolutely fascinating. And I mean, Clippers Suns. I think the Suns would have been in fine shape anyway, but obviously Kawhi just this surprise. <laughs> knee sprain i mean that was just crazy and uh you know nothing on the injury report and that's oh yeah he suffered the injury in game one and then he played through it in game two it's just like uh that took a lot of the air out of the balloon there you don't really have like a great crowd for the clippers either so it's i think that that series is now forgotten but man if you look ahead to the second round tim denver phoenix Warriors, if they get there against either Memphis or the Lakers, mm-hmm. would be awesome. Yep. Uh, Celtics, Sixers. I mean, that is three <laughs> just titanic second round series if they happen. So, uh, and even a Kings Memphis series w- would be, or Kings Lakers, that would be an amazing oh, series too. Yep. So, yep. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think the second round is, is going to be where it's at this season. I'm not 100% sure where you were on the Warriors going into this. I think I would guess you thought, like a lot of us, hey, they got a shot to do anything. Don't know that they've got enough to keep going round through round, but in any round against any team, we know how dangerous they can be. Who knows? They get red hot. Some, you know, Wiggins or somebody else provides them a huge amount of production. They could, could be a... Win, win the championship, you know, some percentage chance. Did you think that going in? And what would you think about them after these three games? I did think that going in. And the way that I usually do my episode with Hollinger, where we pick the playoffs is we just go through and we pick every single series and who we expect to win. And when I did that, I actually had the Warriors winning the championship in part because my exercise had them oh, okay, well, if they won against the Kings in the first round, they're probably playing pretty well. All right, so then they probably beat Memphis. Oh, if they beat Memphis, then they're probably <laughs> playing pretty well. I, I actually like the way they match up uh, with the Suns or Denver pretty well. Also, 
But that's also acknowledging that method is probably not the best method for which individual team is most likely to win the championship because you know, that was me picking the Warriors in a series of like 55-45 series all in a row. But when you have so many of those, it's hard to make it all the way to the end. Whereas a team like Boston, like they've got a cakewalk against Atlanta in this series. And, and I like their matchup against Philly. So Boston would probably be my pick as of now to win it if I had to pick one team. But I absolutely think that the Warriors can get there. I mean, this is tough being down. 2-0 and then but they did weather the suspension like this was the danger game they're in the series right now it's tough it is tough it's a much different thing being down 2-1 as the road team though than it is as that like that's still a situation they've never been in and so having to win either a game five or a game seven on the road like that that is still going to be tough like the kings uh, they are not going to blow the Kings out in Golden One Center. That would really surprise me if they do that. Let me guess: Hollinger did not have the Warriors going through every round. I, I'm just a, just a you know wild guess of mine that our good friend John Hollinger was not thinking the Warriors were going to win a championship. Well, I I, I know all all these Warriors fans that crap on Hollinger for for <laughs> his takes, but he interestingly, like in 2020 when they were terrible, and I thought they would be terrible, he actually thought they were going to be really good that year the d'angelo russell year so he's that he doesn't have like an anti-warriors bias necessarily but you know he had denver memphis in the conference finals it's hilarious that that you know a one-two matchup in the conference finals is considered like a very <laughs> contrarian take uh but you know there was a time that that was looking pretty good and that's still maybe you would even say the most likely outcome it, even now denver has looked uh, pretty solid as well phoenix has looked a little bit shaky so uh yeah, I, I mean, I, but I, I definitely, especially given the way that Andrew Wiggins looks, and I think Peyton has actually looked pretty good too. He had the illness yesterday, but like this, if their stars can play well enough, like this team can still do it. Like they have enough depth, I think, with this group. Uh, and it's just, man, winning four series without home court advantage. Like that's more what it's about. Like I think they actually. I mean, you saw it in those first two games in Sacramento, just how hard it is to win there. And, you know, Memphis will be the same way. And so, uh, you know, the Lakers, uh, that's the one series they might have home court in. So I, I think this team is capable. It's just, man, it's a tough path. Just got, I love Hollinger. I love that he tweaks the Warriors sometimes. I'm just kidding. Uh, but <laughs> I knew he was not picking the Warriors. I don't, I don't, not picking the Warriors to win a championship. So, uh, all right, let's uh, wrap this up with a version of a question I ask everybody. I don't think I've ever asked you. I'm not even sure you, you've been on. I feels like you've been on, but this is your first time. It should have happened a long time ago. Nate Duncan, what's your favorite restaurant right now? I'm going to listen hard to this one because you're a good food guy. What's your best restaurant? Well, it's funny. I, I feel a lot of pressure on this. I've never considered this. It's one of those things where like you talk about food and think about food so much. And it's like, oh, man, I got to pick one favorite. Uh, I even have this uh, food podcast that I do off and on with my sister called Arguing About Food, where we she's in the restaurant industry and we, we talk about stuff. So I, I feel like I, I just expressing my opinion on this is, is <laughs> difficult. So I guess I'll, I'll take this as if there was just what is the restaurant? that I most often want to eat that eat at, right? Like I think of that as my favorite restaurant, like your you, French laundry, you know, you had that, the thing with the Jed York and all, <laughs> and all that with French laundry, you know, that's, that's a great place. But I think it's hard for me to say a place like that is my favorite restaurant. It's just like, it's not accessible. I, it has to be somewhere where it's like, yeah, you know, we can go here as a family, like once a month or once every two weeks, right? Like, like what is the place that I would want to do that with? 
So I think the answer to that would be my local Chinese restaurant uh, about a half mile from my house called Woja. Uh, W-O-J-I-A is a Hunan place. Ethan Strauss turned me on to it. Uh -oh. but, uh, yeah, like that's that's the place that we probably just there's a great local Chinese spot, Hunan Cuisine. There's not that many of those places in the Bay Area. Great spicy food. I love spicy food. Uh, love taking people there. That's that's probably my favorite restaurant right now, I would say. You know, I don't know if you want to say the city, but East Bay, we can safely say. Yeah. Yeah. It's in it's in uh I think it's technically in Albany. Okay. Great choice. You're making me hungry. I think I'm going to go get some Chinese food right now. Uh, this was always good about doing these shows because I hear great stuff about great food and then I go eat it. Uh, all right, Nate. So glad to have you on. Great breaking this down. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's more interesting stuff to happen and we'll see each other down the road. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. Everybody, that's the show for today.